Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. I was driving on the highway the other day and I, I, there was a huge billboard next to the highway. Um, and it said the following. It said, demand your right to lower data costs or something in that line. I was like, that's, that's quite interesting. I wasn't aware of that right, my fundamental right as a human to lower data costs. <clears throat> I'm very thankful for this, uh, this telecommunications company uh, revealing that right to me. Um, and it, but it, it made me think and I, I thought it's so, it's so telling of, of this generation, of our generation. Claim your rights, you know. Own your rights. Know what you're entitled to and claim it. You know, you're entitled to, to lower data costs. Um, if you're not receiving it, then something, you're being wronged. Um, and I, I thought that was quite interesting. And I saw a clip sort of around about the same time by a guy called Simon Sinek. Who knows, who knows who Simon Sinek is? Um, who has seen the clip on where he speaks on uh, millennials in the workplace? Okay. Very uh, thought-provoking and, and, in my opinion, um, insightful video clip, if you want to go see it. Um, but he basically, there's a 15-minute clip, and he talks about the millennials, right, which he defines as people born um, 1984 and after, um, and how, how they do work and they do life and how culture in corporations are changing because of a different mindset amongst the millennials. And he, he describes it as the following. He says, this is his opening line. He says, they're accused of being entitled, narcissistic, self-focused. He actually says lazy as well. <laughs> I didn't put that up there. Um, but he says the big one is, is entitled. And I was like, that's, that's very interesting. It's now the second time that that came up. But it made me think of a conversation that, uh, that Lauren and I had um, while we were driving to Malawi. We were married in May 2014 and we um, Went on a, on a trip with, with my family shortly afterwards to Malawi for two weeks. And I remember us driving, actually driving here past Joburg. And, um, we, um, had a little bit of conflict, um, as, as some newly married couples sometimes do. And, um, <clears throat> we were sort of trying to figure out who's right here. Like who's, clearly there's like expectations are not being met, but who's at fault here? So we're having a conversation and, um, the more we talk, I just remember experiencing the presence of God in the car, and I, and I realized that that's actually not the question. Like, who's who's right? The thing is, we're fighting, we're fighting for our rights in this conversation, um, and not actually serving each other in this conversation. And um, Lauren can tell you. You can ask Lauren to tell you the story about the the Evo, um, or maybe I'll just tell you the story about the Evo. Um, so we were in, in Malawi then, um, and, and we were with our family, and my dad was very generous, and he had, he had paid for a lot of the things that, for the cost for Lauren and myself as well. And we're getting towards the end, and I'm like, I'm not a husband, you know, I'm the provider. I'm sort of a little bit getting tired of my dad paying for a lot of our things. And we got to the store, and everybody's buying groceries, and um, Lauren is like, please can I have an avo? Um, and I was like, I'm sorry, love, we don't have cash. Like, we have no, um, whatever the currency was. I think we were in Zambia. Um, we don't have. She's like, 
Okay, I'm going to ask Bart to buy it. I was like, no, I'd rather not. We, we don't actually need the Avo. Um, we have enough food as it is. This is a luxury. Um, and I don't have cash. So can you just be okay without the Avo? And, um, and, and well, she can, she can tell you the rest of the story um, after that. But so, um, I want to share Google's definition of entitlement with you. It, it resonated quite strongly with me, uh, especially in line with this, the, the message I want to share this morning. It says, it's the belief that one is inherently deserving um, of privileges or special treatment. Because of who I am or because of what I've done, um, the world owes me things. Other people owe me things, right? Privileges and special treatment. Um, and I want to read us a story to, to try and illustrate this a little bit further. Um, the story will be familiar to, to most of you, um, but there's a couple of things. Um, it's, it's a story of the parable of the prodigal son. Um, I want to I wanna focus a little bit more this morning on, um, on the father in the story and on the older brother. Um, I'm going to read it to you, and then I, I just want to highlight a couple of the things that I, I see coming out of that piece. So it says, um, Jesus is telling the parable, and he says, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, 
For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And um, if you look at the if you look at the prodigal son in that story, um, and how how a sense of entitlement manifests in, in his actions, um, that displays actually it just betrays what's in his heart because he says, "Dad, give me what's what's due to me, give me my peace, give me my portion. I wanna I want to go. Um, give me my share of property that is coming to me." And then he goes and. Um, reckless living, and they speak about prostitutes, and he loses everything. You can imagine the guilt and the shame that come with that. And he's degraded from this wealthy man's son with his massive inheritance, status in the community, to a position of a servant that doesn't get fed as well as the pigs that he's meant to tend. Um, And then there's a sobering moment, which for me is just the grace of God. Um, The scripture says, but when he came to himself, so there was a moment where his heart turned and he was able to see again. He came to himself in that moment and he realized what, what he had done. He realized what had been in his heart and the consequences that came from that. But he also knew his father and he had confidence that his father would have mercy if he, had, if he would approach him. And so he went back to his father and um, the father's response to me is, is beautiful. Um, the the footnotes in the ESV actually speak about how the father disregarded all behavioral conventions of the day um, because it was completely, it was regarded as undignified for old people to run. But it says, while the son was still far away off, which to me means that the father must have been sitting on, on his, you know, his stoop or whatever it is, the outskirts of his tent day by day, and watching for his son. You know, after he had, after his son had, had left him, um, and he squandered everything that he had worked really hard for, he was sitting there and he was waiting. He was like, where is my son? How is he doing? So while he's still far away off, the dad started to run, uh, this old man. And it says he, he embraced him and he kissed him. The literal translation is he fell on his neck. And uh, just so powerful to me how that's the father's response when the son is so not deserving of that. Um, the father has compassion on him. He forgives him. He restores him to a place of sonship, to a place of legitimate position in the family. He says, bring quickly. It's almost to me a picture of before the son, before he really believes he is really a servant, you know, just a slave. Quickly bring the robe and the ring and the sandals that we can put it on him so he can remember who he is. And he restores him in the household and then he celebrates. They just have a massive party and the fattened calf that, that was kept for these um, significant occasions. Um, so that's the one part of the story for me. And then such a strong contrast to the second part of the story when we look at the oldest son's response. And we see, we see a sense of entitlement in his heart also that manifests, but it looks very differently. Um, he's angry with the father because his brother didn't get what he deserved and because he feels like he didn't get what he deserved. And there's a sense of resentment in his heart. Right? And he says, how can you do this? I've been faithful to you. I've been, 
living here with you, working hard with you. You haven't even given me a small goat, which is, you know, not even asking for the fattened calf. Um, and it manifests in that way in his heart. And um, he, he relies on, on what he had done. He relies on his, his good works, the fact that he had been faithful um, to receive something, something from the Father. The fact that he had always been there. He had never put a foot wrong. He had always tended the sheep and whatever, whatever, um, you know, whatever livestock they had. Um, and in the father's response, he, he doesn't, he doesn't shut him out. He doesn't say, you're being stupid. He says, you have always been with me. Which speaks to me about the Lord's presence, right? And, and how He longs for us to be close. How He longs for, for that close relationship. And all that I have is yours. Don't you know that I want to bless you because you are my son, because you are with me. You don't have to earn that. You don't have to, to try so hard um, to earn something in your own strength. And um, that was quite a strong contrast for me just to see how how it manifested in the, in, the, in the younger son's life, in the older son's life, um, and his heart, his inability even to celebrate his brother's return when that had happened um, because of the state of his heart. And I then thought, well, how, you know, what does this look like in, in our lives, in my life? You know, I've, um, I've, I've been walking a road with God in this area for, for quite a while, uh, ever since that conversation in, <laughs> on the way to Malawi. Um, what does this look like in our life? And I, I was praying about that, and I felt God highlight a couple of things to me that I want to share with you. Um, the first of which is an attitude of um, my, my devotion to God, my, either how long I had been serving God or the quality of my devotion to God will earn um, me certain benefits. Because I've been faithful and because I've chosen God and because I've kept myself from things in the world, I have a right to X, Y, and Z. And I, we, all, we often hear people say, and, and I find myself in this position sometimes where, you know, the typical example is I've been serving God for 11 years and He didn't heal my mother's cancer. Right? And... Um, What's implied through that statement? That I believe that through my good conduct and my good works, I can buy healing for another person. Right? And there's no reliance on God's power and His nature and His willingness to heal. Right? Um, we had been, you know, serving God faithfully in Jobuk for six years, and we still haven't found a house, you know, that we can move into that we can call our own. Um, not actually a, a, a link between the two, if you think about it. Um, and a story that, that breaks me a little bit in this area is um, the story of, of Horatio Spafford. And um, some of you may know the, the song called um, It Is Well With My Soul, right? I think we sang it a couple of weeks back. Wendy is like, whoop. Um, we love that song. Horatio Spafford was a very successful businessman. Um, I think he was a lawyer, actually, in Chicago um, in the late 1800s. And um, 
They were very faithful servants of God, his whole family, his wife and their five kids. They were very good friends. He's also well known for being good friends with the famous preacher um, D.L. Moody. And, um, but tra- tragedy began to strike at quite an quite a early age for them. And I think what, when his son was four, his only son, he had a son and four daughters. When his only son was four, he was, he was killed by scarlet fever. And um, only a couple of years after that, there was the Great Fire of Chicago. Um, some of you may have heard of it. It wiped out something like 90% of the city. Um, but the Great Fire then also destroyed every single one of their real estate investments um, on the shore of, of, of Lake Michigan. Um, and then he realized that this had, this had you know, taken an incredible toll on, um, on his family. And so he decided, well, let's, let's have a holiday. Let's go away. And they planned a holiday to England where they um, would have a holiday, but also where they would help this famous preacher, D.L. Moody, in, in some of his evangelistic campaigns. Um, and then just before they was meant to set sail for England, there was a pressing business matter that he couldn't, um, you know, couldn't not handle. And he, he told his family he didn't want to delay their vacation, so he said, go ahead, I'm, I'm coming, I'm taking the next ship, and I'll, I'll be following you. And uh, nine days later, he received a... Um, I don't know what they use in those days, a telegram or telegram, um, which said the, just the words, saved alone, from his wife. Um, and while, while they had been crossing the Atlantic Ocean, they collided with a French vessel, and the ship sank with, within like 12 minutes or something. And... Um, his, his wife says, you know, she stood bravely on the deck with their four daughters. And uh, her, lost, her lost memories of the waves violently just taking a baby from her arms. And their four, their four daughters died that day. She survived miraculously. There was a plank that was propped up under her and she was floating on this plank. And they found her and they saved her. And... Uh, now, Horatio Spafford is also on his way over to England. And um, as, he went, as he went over this, this spot where uh, the ship had gone down, he wrote the lyrics of, of that song, It Is Well With My Soul. <laughs> Which to me is such a powerful picture of someone who is... who is not, not entitled in their relationship with God, who is not serving God conditionally, right? He um, had, had been serving God faithfully from a young age. He was, a, he was a influencing the city, this, you know, this, this godless city in the sense, the city of Chicago, and he was serving this preacher, and, and first his son, and then his properties, and then his four daughters, and... Uh, yeah, the words of that song go something like, um, you know, when peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, um, it is well with my soul. And the second verse gets me so badly. It says, um, It says, my sin, he starts and he says, my sin, and then he almost interrupts himself. He says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. 
my sin, not the part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. And that's how he strengthens himself. That's how he strengthens himself in God through those circumstances, going over that exact spot where his four daughters died. He says, it's well with my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. My sins have been forgiven. We need someone to tell a joke. Um, I'm only halfway there. The second way in which, which, which entitlement often manifests in our lives is through Offense. Um, and uh, sure, um, offense is a big one. And I've grouped a couple of them together. Um, offense, unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness, um, all of these things having their being rooted in pride. Um, and the fruit of all of these things being a hard heart, not being able to, to feel not being able to engage with God, not being able to pursue intimacy and relationships with people, not being able to become vulnerable um, because of a hard heart, because of protecting myself, because of holding on to that right to unforgiveness. You had wronged me. It is my right to hold this grudge. Right? And often it just starts with offense. It just starts with something small. I remember how offended I used to get at, at, at university. I was, I was still so insecure at that stage. And I remember how offended I got when I walked past someone that I knew and they didn't greet me. They didn't acknowledge me. And I would make a decision right there and then that I would not, I would not greet them again. I will not greet them first again. Um, because they had obviously willfully, you know, ignored me. Um, and I actually, you know, came up in conversation with a couple of those people later and, and they just hadn't seen me. Um, uh, it's quite embarrassing. Um, but how, how that small offense can grow because we hold on to what, how we should be treated, right? And how that grows. Um, another area is um, an unthankful heart. Um, and I deliberately didn't say I first put lack of thanksgiving, and then I was like, it's not about it's not about what we say or what we do. It's about what originates in the heart. So it's an unthankful heart, right? When we're entitled, we we feel like everything we received is it's just right. It's just fair that we would receive that, you know, it's just meeting the requirement. Um, or we may feel like, well, I actually worked for this, right? So how come I should be thankful? This is my blood and sweat and tears that went into this. It's only right that it comes to me. Um, and so, so that leads to, to an unthankful heart. Um, and we, we rely on our, personal, on our own personal efforts, somewhat like the, um, the older brother in that story. But there's not an overflow of, of thanks. There's not a, a gratitude um, there's not a, wow, you know, look what I, look what I received. You know, isn't this amazing? Um, it's just a, oh, okay, cool, got that, tick, let's go. Um, the other one which I, which, which um, was a surprise to me, it's something I, I hadn't thought of earlier um, that I felt God say was, was an inability to receive. 
Um, so you can receive, you know, we can receive, but only when, only when we've already given something in return, right? Only when that receiving is actually paying back of a favor or, you know, it's actually, you know, it's my salary that I worked hard for so I can receive that, but I can't receive, you know, lo and behold, someone wants to give me, you know, a car that I didn't work for, you know, or a compliment that I don't feel is true, right? I'm unable to receive that because I don't feel like I've earned it yet. Um, and we, we can receive only when it's based on our earning and not when it's based on the goodness of the giver. Just that person's heart to bless, God's heart to bless. And we're like, no, Lord, I'm not worthy. Don't, you know. And he's like, this is not about you. This is about who I am. I am good, right? And I love you. Let me bless you, right? You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to meet the requirements. In fact, you can't. Um, and there's a lot of freedom in that. Um, the last one I want to I want to share is um, there is no there is no evidence of of a servant's heart. Um, and again, it's 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 the hard issue. It's not what what it always looks like on the outside, right? Um, we serve in different areas. Um, we each have received gifts um, that we serve other people with. Um, so it's not that there's a, a picture of what serving looks like and we need to strive, to that, uh, strive towards that picture. It's not that. But it's about lacking the heart of a servant. Um, and I've put a couple of examples on the screen there. It's, it's, it's what my focus is, my attention is on what can I get versus what can I give, right? It's, a, it's an expectation to be served rather than to serve. And um, I just, that scripture about G, where Jesus speaks about himself and he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just that picture. It also manifests in lust, I believe. Lust is um, focused on what I can get, what will satisfy me, what will please me, as opposed to love, which is about what can I give, how can I bless you, what do you need? Right. Um, and then a story... You know, I think the most that I've learned about um, overcoming entitlement is is in marriage, um, is through my relationship with with Lauren. And um, I remember we were we were doing a secondment in um, I did a secondment for work in in San Francisco for three months in 2015. And um, <clears throat> when we got there, both of us had the day after we arrived, where our, was our um, it was our one-year wedding anniversary, and we went uh, cycling. We went on a, a tandem bike. Lauren was, um, I think she was, she was five months pregnant, I think. Um, and so she was on the tandem bike with me, and we cycled over the Golden Gate Bridge. And the people that were cycling past us would be like, she's not cycling. <laughs> You're pulling her alone. <laughs> um, and I was like, and she's sitting there and taking pictures. <laughs> And uh, I was like, well, that was a little bit the idea of the tandem. I didn't want it to, to have to work too hard. Um, 
But we had coffee later that day, and both of us just had some quiet time, and, and we felt that God said it was going to be a time of repentance for us, um, the time in San Francisco, the three months that we spent there. And um, I, remember, I remember becoming aware of how I relate to Lauren um, in marriage, and how I, you know, based on my experience and, you know, the expectations that society creates and, you know, pressures from family perhaps at times, I had a certain picture of what a wife is in my mind. I was like, cool, Lauren, you know, is going to conform to that picture and then everything is going to be great. Um, and uh, which, which the married people in the room will know does not happen like that. Um, and um, I remember thinking often, and, and I became aware of these, this thought pattern while I was in San Francisco, how Lauren would do something or say something and I would think, you promised before the altar that you that my mensa is your mensa, that you would treat you know my family like your family, and you don't treat my mother like you treat your mother, you know. That's what I. That's a thought I had, and I had a couple of those. I what's another example? Um, then I had an opportunity to go work in Dubai to to sort of permanently um, uh, move there to go work there, and Lauren uh, <laughs> was a little bit resistant to say the least. Um, she was like, you know, if this is what God wants, okay, but not if this is just what you want. <laughs> um, no, I'm exaggerating. It wasn't that bad, but I, I could see that the thought of Dubai was very difficult for her. And I just thought, well, you said you would go wherever I go, and, you know, you made these promises. And, and um, Lauren is, I have to say, Lauren is an incredibly submissive wife. Um, I, I just want to honor her for that. Um, the, 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 the story I told might not picture it as such. But um, I remember God saying to me, oh, no, I remember God saying that we must watch our, um, we must watch our wedding, and, uh, sorry, our wedding DVD while we were in San Francisco. And we took it along and, and we watched our wedding DVD. And as we watched it, God said to me, right, now I want you to focus a lot less on the vows that Lauren made and I want you to focus a lot more on the vows that you made. And I, yeah, ouch, that's right. <laughs> I was like, Lord, I repent. You know, and that had been my mindset. That had been, that had been the way that I had approached our marriage was based on what you had promised. But you said that you would do this. You stood there and you said the following. And why, how come you're not doing that? And doing that actually, like to having that approach actually takes away the opportunity for that person to bless you because it's such a high standard and everything they do is just meeting your requirement. It's not because they're doing it out of a heart of affection and a heart of love and a heart of serving. It's just because, well, I need to meet this mold of a wife that you have in your head, so you know, I'm just going to go do it. Um, and God is like, remember what you said. You said that you would treat her family the same that you do yours. You said that you would serve her, Right? You know, you knew when you married her what, what Scripture says in Ephesians 5 about the husband must love the wife and give himself to her like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Right? And that giving of self. And um, that for me was a, a massive turnaround um, and a, a huge example of how, how this thing about entitlement managed in, or manifested in my life. Um, 
And then I want to I want to contrast that picture. I think I think we've you know I think you get the picture. Um, I want to contrast that picture with with the following scripture that describes um, Jesus's heart. And it's Ephesians, sorry, it's Philippians two, and it says, "Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God." did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I just want us to read it again. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that, to me, is such a such a strong contrast to um, to what we've been talking about up to this point, to a heart that has entitlement in its center. G- the The irony is that Jesus is actually the only one who is legitimately entitled. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is the Word made flesh. He Everything is his portion, is his inheritance. He has all authority and all dominion. So if you think about it, he is, he is actually entitled. He, he wouldn't have to have a mindset or an attitude or a heart of entitlement. He would just be entitled. It's rightfully his. But yet when you look at, at the heart of Jesus, he empties himself. The fact that he was God in the flesh, that he was equal with God... He doesn't claim those rights. He lays down the rights that come with being God. He was on earth. He, was the, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he was as much that when he was on earth as he is today. But he didn't claim it. He wasn't like, do you know who I am? You need to repent. You're in big trouble. You owe me your life. And even after he sacrificed himself on the cross in obedience to God and out of love for us, he, he, he didn't hold that against us. He didn't say, he, he had no sense of resentment in his heart that he had to go through that for us. He was, you know, he was, his body was broken. He was humiliated publicly. He was separated from the presence of God for us. And none of us will ever, 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 I think, in this side of eternity, know what that actually, the fullness of what that represented. Um, And yet, when he returned to his disciples, he had gentleness in his eyes. He still served them. Still made fish for them, you know, on the shore of the beach and had a meal with them. He wasn't like, 
I gave my life for you. You better, like, you owe me your yes. No, he was like, I love you. I serve you. I hope with all my heart that you choose me and you choose life. Because outside of that, there isn't much, but there was never any manipulation or any sense of entitlement in that sense. Um, The other part of the irony is that if we actually demanded and if we insisted on what we are entitled to, what would we get? If we think about it, what we actually deserve versus what we have received, everything because of the Father, because of, because of His heart for us, because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so... I started off this journey when, when we had that conversation in the car um, on, the, on the way past Joburg, Lauren and I, and we spoke about you know, what we feel we have a right to versus serving each other. And I, I thought at that stage that serving is, is how to overcome um, entitlement or being thankful is how to overcome entitlement. And I, I just felt God told me that even that is trying to fix the problem in your own strength. Even that is focusing on the outward. Yes, serving and, and thankfulness is opposed to entitlement. It is the opposite of entitlement. But the way to get there is not to try harder. The way to get there can only be through Jesus, through the cross, through seeing the entitlement in our hearts, repenting of that and saying, God... I'm sorry. I know that everything you have given me, I have received out of your goodness. Actually, I don't deserve anything. But based on your goodness, you give. I want to receive that, Lord. I want to receive that, Lord. And there's a very real exchange that happens at the cross. And it just comes back to Jesus and the cross, who He is, His nature and His character and what He did on the cross. The fact that my sin, not the part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's well with my soul. So why you close your eyes and just, just focus on, on Jesus. Just to quiet your thoughts. And just, just direct your thoughts, direct your heart towards God. Now, so, if you could, if you could relate this morning with some of the, some of the stories or the principles that I shared, if, you know, you, you see a little bit of that older brother mentality in yourself. If you, you know, if you realize that actually you do feel entitled to certain things because of how long or how faithfully you've been serving God. If you, um, you know, if you realize, if you recognize that you have an inability to receive something that you have not earned through your own, through your own efforts, you know, if you, if you experience a, a lack of just when, when good things happen, you just don't experience that thanksgiving. 
that if you can relate to, to that this morning, um, there's absolutely no condemnation. But there is, there is an invitation. There is an invitation to come to God. If you can identify and if you experience that sense of entitlement in your heart, I want us to just bring our hearts before God. And I'm just going to just lead us in a prayer and then um, the band is going to continue playing and, and I want to invite you to, to stay behind and just do, do business with God. Um, if, if, if He leads you to do that. And so if you want to share in this prayer this morning, just, just put your hands up. And let's just say, Oh God, we just come to you this morning, God, and we just say, God, that we recognize, Lord, that everything we have, God, we received from you, Lord. Lord, if we had to go based on what, what we deserve, Lord, and what we are rightfully entitled to, Lord, we would be stuffed, God. Lord, that would be the end for us, God. Lord, and through your mercy, Lord, Father, you say, come, just come, come. Lord, we need a revelation, God, of, of who you are and what you've done, Lord. Father God, overwhelm us, Lord, with a sense of your goodness, Father God. Open our eyes to see what you have done, God. Open our ears to hear, God. Lord, we repent of entitlement in our hearts this morning, God. We repent of fighting so hard to claim our rights, God. We repent of fighting so hard for ourselves, Lord. We repent of allowing a culture that is, has claim your rights, fight for your rights, know your rights, Lord like infiltrate our hearts God and, and steal from our relationship with you and with others God we repent this morning and we renounce that Lord in the name of Jesus Father Lord and we just say God come and do a work in our hearts God Lord let thankfulness and gratitude flow like a river from our hearts and from our mouths Lord not because we know it's the right thing to do Lord because that is what's in our hearts God Lord, let a heart of service, Lord, let a heart of giving to others, Father God, Lord, of giving ourselves, Father God, to you first, God, and to others. Let that be at the forefront, Father. But we don't want to do it in our own strength, Father God. We don't want to just do behavioral modification, Father. We recognize, Lord, that it's Jesus, it's through repentance, it's through turning towards you, it's through getting what you did on the cross and who you are and your heart towards us that you do this, God, that you do this work. And we just say, come and do it, Lord. We just say, yes, Father. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.